right now on Higher Journeys with Alexis Brooks. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Higher Journeys. I am your host, Alexis Brooks, and I am so glad you decided to join me today. If you're at all interested, remotely interested even, in the idea of time travel and the fact that we may have not just one future self, but multiple future selves, you're going to love this episode. My guest is Cynthia Sue Larson, who I affectionately refer to as the quantum optimist. And she has some wonderful, wonderful things to say, a wonderful philosophy about the idea uh, of interacting with, initiating interaction with future versions of ourselves. But of course, before you get to that, you have to get your head around the notion uh, of time travel. Is it possible? We're going to touch on that and then get into going with the assumption that we can, in fact, interact with our future selves, how we would do that, why we would do that. I think it's a fascinating topic. And particularly now, as I am going to stay firm to the idea that we are living in a metaphysically potent time. Well, if we are, let's see how far we can go. Can we meet and interact with our future self? Here now is Cynthia Sue Larson. All right, journeyers, we are back after two weeks off uh, with no guest. I got a little bit lonely without having my uh, my higher journeys guest family with me. So <laughs> we've just had so much going on, guys. And I hope you did have a chance to see the conscious commentary that we did just a, a few short days ago. We did manage to get that up. But now we're back with the guest episodes, and I'm so delighted. I am particularly and excited today because I get to have one of my dearest friends on board with me, Ms. Cynthia Sue Larson. Welcome, Cynthia. How goes it in Northern California? Well, it's never a dull moment in Northern California. <laughs> yeah, we've overall, I'll just sum it up. I'm doing fine. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> You're doing fine. Okay. Well, look, we'll we'll just say briefly so we can get prayers continuing to go for, for all of you there in Northern California. We know that the fires are, although they're not necessarily at their peak, they're, have they start to come down a bit in terms of... Yes, but there's still a lot of smoke. And so it's a breathing hazard for everybody, actually. But those who have asthma or elderly or pre-existing health conditions need to stay completely inside or else wear those N95 masks. And that's been that way for months now in California. We've just had so much smoke in Northern California that it's been an ongoing situation. Well, prayers are definitely going out. My oh my, has this been a heck of a year? And we, we tend to assign events and periods of these days tumult to a particular year. And my, my concern is that it will, in fact, bleed over until and into the new year and beyond. So we need to stay close together, stay positive. I know that sounds like a very passive act these days, but it's not. Now more than ever, we have to stay positive and stay close together and love one another. And, and keep a sense uh, of humor, too. Keep a sense of humor. Well, as per usual, before we hit the record <laughs> button, guys, we were being really silly. We we tend to do that when we get started, right? <laughs> oh, totally. You got to. I think, I think when things are serious, you have to keep your sense of humor. And some people say that gaining this extra hour of 2020, when we turn our, some of us are turning our clocks back an hour. I know that not all the states do that, but California does. And um, some people will say that it's analogous to getting an extra bonus track of your Christmas CD with the barking dogs, you know, singing Christmas carols. <laughs> so no offense to the dogs or the Christmas carols. But <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. I am. Um, hold on one second. I'm getting myself <laughs> kind of situated here. Yeah, we've been silly for sure. What's a good thing? Absolutely. Keeping that sense of humor is what uh, keeps the stress level down. Keep the stress level down and the giggle factor up and you'll be fine. Yes. Well, speaking, I love when we, we have these built-in segues, Cindy. Speaking of rolling the clocks back in the spring, we spring forward. Yes. What we are going to be discussing today has to do with an aspect of that. We're going to be talking about time. But even more interestingly, we're going to be talking about, is it possible to meet your future self? Now, I want to tell you, journeyers, check this out. Prior to uh, getting on the air with Cynthia, I said, you know, I, I think I'm going to do a little Google search on uh, 
is it possible? I think I put, is it possible or can you meet your future? And I was saying to Cynthia, before I even had the chance to type out self, it came up on its own, which meant that it's a very popular search uh, term or search um, uh, query. Right. 1.2 billion. Is that what I said? Let me just. Yes. Yes. That's what you said. I yeah. guess. I guess 23,000. 1.2 billion. Like 20 years ago. I, it wouldn't have even been 23,000 20 years ago. Yeah, well, neither would eleven eleven, right? We see right. <laughs> those numbers. Have, those numbers have really shot through the roof, literally and figuratively. So, we're not the only ones having the discussion. No surprise. But when you had uh, uh, you just published, not just published, it's been a while, uh, a fantastic article called "Time Travel." Yes, how I met my future self. And by the way, journeyers, it's on blog.higherjourneys.com. So excited that Cynthia is one of our wonderful senior contributors to the blog. And I read that through and I thought to myself, not that I haven't thought about the idea of time travel. I mean, that's definitely one of the hot areas of inquiry within the alternative circle broadly. Time travel, Do we can, can we traverse time, past, present, and future? So much talk around that. But you say that you actually met and interacted with your future self, I believe, back in 1978. I want to start with that, but I want to just give you guys a heads up. What we're going to be talking about is how realistic is it? And Cynthia is going to go into some of the, the, the mechanics and the dynamics about how not only to do this, but how we can perhaps glean insight from our future self. So. Without further ado, Cynthia, take it away. How did how did this happen? What was the precursor, you think? Uh, okay, this is an interesting experience. And for those who haven't heard it before, um, maybe I should summarize it briefly and then set the stage for what happened. So as you said, it was January, or maybe I don't know what month it was exactly, but it was definitely 1978. I was 16 and I was, oh yeah, it was January, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I just remembered why. Okay, right. So the whole story revolves around that I had just uh, met what a person who turned out to, in the future, become my first husband. And so it was a brand new relationship. I'd received some little love letters in the mail, and I had put them in a very secret spot inside a roll-top desk in my bedroom um, because they were so precious to me, because they were so important to me, and I didn't want anybody else besides me finding them. So that was the whole premise of what's going on with the item. What happens next is very strange. <laughs> There's no other word for it. I mean, even on this show, even with my own work, it's totally very unusual. Um, so that evening after I'd concealed the letters, I went to sleep. And I, when I was between waking and sleeping in that sort of hypnagogic state where, you know, your mind is just relaxing and uh, very in a very soothing state of reverie, just uh, where time doesn't even seem like it is time and you have a knowingness of all things. So I'm just in that falling asleep state uh, with my eyes closed I, at first. I think I, I'm not sure whether they were open or closed. I, I think at some points I would open my eyes and look. But what I saw coming through into my room and my room is closed, the door is closed. It's a private bedroom. I'm the only one in there. It's just me, the roll top desk. Um, some large uh, floor-to-ceiling mirrored sliding glass door closet doors. And that's where the action started, was at the mirrored closet doors. Um, a, a woman who looked like me, but decades older, entered the room, sort of float-walked across the room, think-talking, think loving, beautiful things to me. Um, very soothing, calming, like glad to see me. And then she just went directly to the, the secret hiding spot where I had put those letters, pulled open the drawer at the bottom of the desk, um, looked under it, which is where I'd put the letters. I, I couldn't tell what she did. Um, later I found out the letters were missing. So I, I assume now she took the letters. Then she float walked back to the closet Apparently, I was talking to her out loud because the next thing that happened was my bedroom door opened and my father entered the room and said, are you okay? I heard voices. Uh, um, he heard my voice. I don't think he heard her voice because I don't think she was talking out loud. I could hear her, but um, I don't think, well, anyway, I didn't. The whole thing was too weird to even mention any of this to him. 
So the next thing that happened was in the morning, um, I went to check to see, are those letters there? In the secret place I put them, they are gone. And they're still gone. I checked a, again a couple weeks ago. And they're, because I still have that roll top desk. Oh, really? And I was going to say that I was do. a long time period <laughs> in between. I know. So the whole thing is bizarre. And then I accused my sister because she was a teenager. I was a teenager. I was just 16. She was a couple of years younger. And sometimes she might do something like that. But the way she was so upset and actually furious that I'd accused her, I could tell she hadn't done it. So that left just the weirdest possible explanation of all was that some future version of me had actually entered my room, actually talked to me, engaged in some conversation, just very peaceful and, you know, caring. And then she'd come in. She apparently is the only one who took those letters. But you saw her take, you going back in your memory banks, do you, you recall seeing her go into the drawer and taking them? Yeah, I, I remember she opened the drawer and then she, I, I didn't know what she was doing. I don't think I saw the full detail of it. And she was very soothing. The whole time she was there, it was just very, it was very much like everything's fine. Don't worry about anything. But what she was really doing is like stealing <laughs> something from me. A future version of me took something from me. I, what I now theorize is that is a completely different, what you might call timeline version of me. That's a version of me from some other reality, probably where I, instead of getting divorced from my first husband, chose to stay together, at which point I would not have written all the books I've written. My life would be very different. So I think that that divorce, that the ending of that marriage, the beginning of a new life after that um, completely changed my entire trajectory. So in a very powerful mm -hmm. way, that simple action changed everything for me. That was a, the first thought that came to mind because I know a little bit about your, your history and I know that you had gone through a divorce. And I don't know that I realized that those letters were from, there were love letters from your your first husband, right? Yeah. And it did occur to me that perhaps the reason, if she is the one, this future Cynthia Sue Larson that took uh, the letters had to do with what invariably would play out or what needed to play out for you right. to move on in your life. It's very interesting. Because I'm such a loyal person, I probably would have stuck around and made it just suffered through and felt like, well, we don't really belong together, but I'm going to make this work somehow. And But the point is, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Probably wouldn't be talking to you. It would have changed a lot. Something about those letters symbolized perhaps holding on to a relationship that needed to be let go of. I get it. So we're really kind of jumping ahead. I'm going to come back a little bit, but what I'm, what I see coming down the pike in our conversation is the idea that not only is it possible to meet a future self and maybe from a different timeline altogether, but that they can act almost as, I don't want to say Oracle, but they can act as a guide. They can help yep. to guide our trajectory and our present life. That's what, that's ultimately where we want to go. But before we go, I want to just bring up a couple of things. That's a that's a fa fascinating story. Folks, please go to blog.higherjourneys.com. I think we put that article up about three or four weeks ago, but I think I'm going to put it right back up on the front page because I know people are going to want to read it. And moreover, the the message from, this isn't just, here's what happened to me. There, you, you referred to this uh, future self of yours as your best possible future self and how to tap that to enrich our lives today. So I don't want to uh, blow it right now. I want people to go and read the article, but I want to just get back. Let's back up for a bit, Cindy, and talk about the whole concept and plausibility of uh, time travel. Now you mentioned in your piece that science is now starting to, in essence, uh, look at this as a, a very viable possibility. They're now supporting the idea that, that time travel could be real. And of course, it's Einstein's theory of relativity, right, that kind of opened that box, I would say. And here's a quote that I love that I found in our mutual colleague, PMH Atwater's book, Future Memory, which I want to bring up. Excellent book. But she quotes Einstein as saying, time and space are modes by which we think, not conditions in which we live. That's such a powerful phrase to me. What does that say to you? Oh, that's so beautiful. Well, it says that this is... Um... It's just, it's consciousness is primary. You can't get behind consciousness. This is 
another famous quote <laughs> by the progenitor of quantum physics, the inventor of the word quanta, Max Planck. And he said, consciousness is primary, you can't get behind it. And again, with this quote by Einstein, it's beautiful because when you look at time and space being modes of thought, what is he really saying? He's saying that that is consciousness itself, you know, that that's in consciousness. And so the way that we play with it, the real nature of reality is necessarily going to be greater than the typically slender slice of consciousness that we're typically operating with. Mm -hmm. So is the inference here that if thought is really what relegates time or our notion of time by directing our thought consciously, can we initiate an interaction as an example with a part of the future, including ourselves in it by conscious thought? Right. It's possible. And one of the things I like to focus on primarily is these levels of self, because when we say me and conscious, then we tend to assume we know what we're doing. This is where most of the trouble begins, <laughs> because it's like running a car and not recognizing that the engine is in the engine compartment. It's not in the trunk of the car. So you imagine with your mind. That's the imagination. That's huge. That's powerful. That's everything. And it's been kind of ignored. I think our emphasis on left brain kind of Boolean logic and rational thinking has left us um, impoverished in many ways. We tend to put down and ridicule imagination and say like, that's just in your mind. But then ironically, we have things like the placebo effect. We have lots of things going on that indicate there is something else happening. So that's one level of self. I'm just going to lump it into like a snowman with three main parts. So you've got your conscious mind imagining there's the, your heart, which really has a lot to do with what you really care about, what you love. And then if you go down to the bottom, that's the subconscious, which tends to run the whole show. So the subconscious is the part that um, deals with what you absolutely need. For most people, that's how they're experiencing time travel, reality shifts, Mandela effects, all of this. It'll be driven by the subconscious which has to do with what you need, which might not be what you wanted or what you were imagining. And you might even get what you're afraid of. So what you need to bring together is the attention, the intention and the imagination together. And when you've got that, it's kind of like you've lined everything up. You've got alignment within all levels of yourself and you're capable then um, of whatever you're focusing on. Yes. Then if you keep your attention on it and you intend it with the purity of your full heart, then it can come through. Yes. Attention, intention, imagination, and imagination, bringing those three elements together. Let's break that down a little bit more. So let's talk about, I'm a big fan of imagination because I, again, I think it's far more than we relegate to it. Um, and I'm reminded often of the great work of Henri Corbin, the French uh, philosopher who talked about the imaginal as a realm that can be uh, occupied, entered, and gleaned from, and brought into the more physical layers of reality. So and he, gave, our, he gave a name to something that I, I want to give credit to the Tibetan Buddhists, the yogis, and the shamans thousands of years prior to Henri Corbin, because they were doing this. And then, yes, he gave it a name, but I want to credit everybody else too. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. we, we can get into <laughs> the whole idea of the tulpa, talking yeah. about the ancient Tibetan uh, culture and literally creating from thought forms other personas. That's another conversation. I'd love to have that again. We did one show years ago on that. But nonetheless, the bottom line is, historically speaking, we have seen tons of evidence that we have the, the ability to create from thought and imagination. And perhaps it's so powerful that if we don't get a hold of our imagination, it can run away yes. from us and with us. <laughs> that's, so. that's why one of the most important things we can do with our imagination is ask the right questions because you're constantly conversing with the cosmos. And if you, that's why I like to ask, how good can it get? Keep it yeah. open-ended, keep it simple. Don't get it cluttered and complicated because <laughs> this yeah. is your North star. That's your North star. You want it to be good. You want to go onward and upward. Absolutely. So again, getting back to this idea, Cynthia, of self-initiating, if it's possible, I believe it is possible. I think it, it, it certainly is. But bringing three elements very uh, 
interwoven, I suppose, attention, intention, and imagination. And I would add, uh, what's the word I want to use? Respect, not just respect, but reverence for the process, not for curiosity's sake. I wouldn't advocate anyone going out to go seeking their future self just to see if it'll work. What, before we even get into a little bit more, if this is possible, and if so, how, what, oh my God, it just left me, just flew right away (laughs) what I was about to ask you. Well, that's okay. I, I, one thing I really wanted to touch on, uh, going back to that story I told, was there's powerful meaning in the fact that those letters vanished for me. It's it's a whole that whole vignette, that story, is a powerful example because it means that sometimes things will change, and like there's no real explanation for how did those letters go, except a very metaphysical one that sounds kind of uh, out there, you know, it's kind of like this is not a normal experience. But that's okay because it shows us that sometimes you can actually make a jump to a new reality. And when you're in that new reality, literally things have changed. You need to learn to let things go a lot more than most of us are prepared to do. So like you said, so that goes with the reverence you're talking about, the spiritual path, that focus on knowing intrinsically, not just wanting something for your egoic self, but um, really desiring what's best for all concerned. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm so bummed because I, I, what I had planned on asking you, I think was fairly important. I had somebody, uh, just to digress for a minute, have me do a little exercise once where I had one of those, we call them brain farts or brain freezes where you just write, the, it just flew right, right away. And he says, Alexis, what you need to do is you squeeze, I believe your left hand and just try to recall something about squeezing the hand can bring back something that just a fleeing thought uh, to recall something. So let's see if it comes back. I don't know if it, if it was meant to come back, it, it will. So let's well, move on. I have a, Here's I mean, what I want to talk about. Okay. <laughs> I have a great story. Go ahead, go ahead. I've got an amazing story. I once gave a talk when everything went out of my head. And I, not only that, but I couldn't read my handwritten notes. It looked like hieroglyphics. And so I was coming on right after Stanley Krippner. It was at a shamanism conference. And I had no way to read anything on the page. But I could kind of hear my guides, and so I'm talking to them, and they said, well, you could hear us, right? And I said, yep. So they said, you're fine. I thought, okay, I'm, I guess I'm good. And so Stanley Krippner finished. It was all about um, the singer for the Doors. Um, you know, what's that? I can't remember his name. <laughs> Morrison. Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison. Yeah. yeah. The question was failed shaman, question mark. And so he's playing footage of the Doors. I'm supposed to go on after this. And I can't even read my notes. And I can't even remember what I was going to talk about. It's like the worst brain f- fog ever. So I get up there. <laughs> yeah, it does. So I was listening to my guides. And I think I, I think I may have told you this, Alexis, what happened next. But they, they played truth or dare with me on the stage. They just started ask, They just started the sentence. The weirdest thing that ever happened to me was. And then they just... I'm, I'm left hanging. I'm like, oh my gosh, truth or dare. Wow. <laughs> so. Isn't that something? These things happen. I've had that happen to me. It is a matter of fact, in many interviews that I do, I'll, I'll have brain freeze, brain fart, whatever you want to call it. Just things your mind. We're, we're talking about how many thoughts are coming in and out of the mind on a daily basis. I forget how many tens of thousands or more per, per minute thoughts are coming in. And but yeah, but when this happens to you, it's so perfect because often it's our future self interfering. It's basically doing that jerk to the side, like, no, you're not going to say what you thought you're going to say. And they just bump you to the side, like bumper cars. And then you're in a slightly adjacent reality and you don't have that thought because you just got bumped. So what you can learn to do is start playing with that and riffing with it, just like you're on stage and you have no notes and here we go. And what happens that I've noticed is I get more authentic, more in the moment, more real. Yeah. So no, that's good. what I started to say. I don't know for some reason that the, the energy is a little different today in this conversation I'm noticing. And you just brought something very important up. Could it be that our future selves are intervening, say, saying, no, Alexis, no, Cindy, go this way, go that way. 
bring in this point. I mean, look, I always say before I go on for every show, let the conversation go where it needs to go for the highest good of all involved. So they're going to veer us in the direction that we need to be discussing for the sake of those listening. What might you all be thinking about right now? Do you want to meet your future self? Is there a fear perhaps of meeting a future self? You know, these days, many of many folks are fearing the future because the future is unknown. Of course it is. It will remain unknown. And thus the future self uh, to a large extent is unknown. Could there be a fear in that? And if so, might that cause some psychological harm? Well, if you do it without recommend, I recommend choose your best possible future self. Again, going with what your subconscious knows to be best. It may not be what you consciously recognize. It might feel like you connect and then like, whoa, that's some hippie new age artist future self I just saw. And I'm a business person. That's kind of like what happened to me. Uh, But I didn't totally turn into a hippie. Um, It's just that there was a lot more free, um, spontaneous in the moment and kind of reality surfing component to me, that future me, than I was because I was very much more. Uh, you know, going decades back, I was much more focused. I was in charge of the planning and control department at Citibank, to give you an idea. And people thought, perfect job. <laughs> like, you're so organized. <clears throat> so it's kind of funny to look back at that now. But yes, absolutely. If you focus on your best possible future self and you keep asking, how good can it get? Your subconscious knows those words without trying to figure out what am I supposed to be wishing for? Don't make it too complicated because that's. I think our monkey minds can mess us up the worst. And that's where you can steer into fears. You don't want to go there. You want to literally say, how good can it get? How good has it been? I'm going to talk now with my best possible future self. My best possible future self. Well, it's interesting that you say that because what you're alluding to or what you alluded to a little earlier is that there may be multiple future selves depending on the timeline that we're talking about. Could we request, I guess where I'm trying to go here, Cynthia, is how in control can we possibly be? How how can we consciously handpick meeting our future self, which future self, how far into the future? Could we meet a future self from next week versus, you know, we think of future as way out, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now. But a future self, I mean, we're a future self of, the conversation we were having 10 minutes ago, right? Absolutely. So there are gradations of future selves. And depending on what we're looking to procure from that future self might determine how far into the future we're looking to pluck us from. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Let's say a future right. self from uh, uh, January of 2021. That's only a couple of months from now. And look how fast things are moving and how... Right circumstances are changing so drastically that those little increments of time can make mean huge differences in that self. And when you look at this year, it's been very different than what most of us would have expected. So uh, I've seen some videos about that comedies, but sort of a dark, taking a dark take on it. Like I did not know this was coming kind of a thing. Um, It's good to have comedy, but when, when we do this seriously, you might not know exactly what's going on probably you won't because the truth about reality that I've noticed is it's very interwoven. When you look at stories and legends, like the, the story, the legend of grandmother spider woman, she weaves together all these possible realities like, um, like spider webs, but it's not with the idea that she knows everything. It's more that she's working with these threads. Like you, your life intersects with my life and we affect one another positively, hopefully. So we, we have a huge influence on each other. And to the degree that we can rise up to be our optimal versions of what we most care about, what our deepest um, principles really are, and when we become the examples of that, that's phenomenal. And that has tremendous energy with it. You, you get automatic rush of energy with that. So rather than trying to let the imagination all on its own deal with the whole thing, I do recommend start with your gut, start with your heart, really bring it together, get this alignment going, because then when you're, what you're imagining is also what you care, what you're able to pay attention to without feeling like I don't care about this and what you're able to really need 
you know, with your full being. And so that's the power of that intention and attention. If you don't have, if you're not 100% on board, then it doesn't really matter what you think you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to a lot of people that say, I've done those future self exercises. They don't work for me. Nothing much happened. Well, this is the problem. If you're not fully vested in it, you're not going to get much in the way of results. Right. Absolutely. That goes for anything, any type of manifesting, intending uh, exercise you may choose. You know, novelty cannot be uh, part of the equation. Of course, we're curious to see how reality really works with these sort of things. But I, I think that emotion, emotion, along with the intention, attention and imagination are important. And if the emotion is real and the, the desire is real, that's going to add some some juice to it as well. Let me ask you this. Do you think that there's any connection or potential any connection between a future self and our higher self? Yes. <clears throat> Sometimes you could interchange them. They could be similar or almost identical. Um, might be hard to tell them apart. These levels of self, if you're looking at chakras, then some people say we've got seven chakras. And then they, they're talking now about these upper ones that go up onward and when you talk about your higher self, sometimes people are literally thinking about that level of consciousness way, way up there. Best possible future self is a version of physical self like, like you right now, but it brings together your head, your heart, your gut. So you've got those emotions, you've got um, what you're capable of actually intending because you care about it. If you don't have emotions, you can't really intend anything. You've got your full attention, which is your focus of, of energy from your subconscious. And unless you practice some kind of um, structure to build that up, like whether it's yoga, martial arts, tai chi, qigong, something, um, that, that's what slowly builds your ability to concentrate on something, focus on it for more than just two, three seconds at a time. And then when you've got your imagination working together, that all together, that is the best possible future self. Uh, whereas the high self could be analogous to a, a very high level of consciousness, which is part of the whole thing, mm -hmm. but <clears throat> really has a bird's eye view. <clears throat> the higher self uh, stands on the mountaintop and just has a panoramic view and can see, perhaps it's the higher self that can see the future self and if necessary, warn the present self, don't go there because I see you yeah. down the road it's, it's fascinating it's mind twisting but it's absolutely fascinating well i'm the, sure that's happened to you too. like you've gotten those prompts like don't go that way or, <clears throat> i think i did the done. other day i i here's the interesting thing if you follow this is also following your intuition which brings me to another question let's see if i can maintain the thought because i'm not going to bring it up right now um no, I am going to bring it up right now. It's so funny. I feel like there's somebody saying, no, Alexis, ask this now. Do that. Really? Are you there? Higher self, future self, <laughs> whatever <laughs> the case. Um, <coughs> when we have intuitive hits, yes. when we have precognitions, yes. other sorts of uh, aspects of ESP, could this information be coming from the future self, particularly when it comes to precogs. Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've got smoke in the air, even in the house sometimes. <laughs> and I've got, got an air tamer here, a little device that clears the air around you. Yeah, really cool. take your time, by the way, if you need to take a sip of water, I understand. <laughs> it's, you know, tough okay. there. With... I know. So the yeah. question, can you repeat that? Sorry, but coughing. My question is, you know, in thinking about the idea of, you know, sometimes we're really tuned in and getting the intuitive hits. I, I think now more than ever, I've been talking about that synchronicity. Intuition seems to be heightened uh, at certain times, uh, getting precogs, precognitions. Could the source of this information flow be coming from our future self? Would it not? Would it not yes. be? Well, it makes sense. And it fits with quantum physics when you look at uh, the delayed choice experiments, for example, in quantum physics, where you can choose how you set an observation up. And that's a future decision, but it, uh, it influences the results that have already happened, which it's one of those another bizarre moments in quantum physics where scientists wonder what the heck is going on. 
And then when people like myself indicate this is the real rea reality, the primary reality is quantum, which means delayed choice is intrinsically, fundamentally part of all the building blocks of energy and matter, that that's, that's the universe, the cosmos that we're living in, that absolutely the delayed choice concept fits right with precognition, fits right with this idea of future self. Um, from what I've experienced with reality shifts and so forth, and so many miraculous experiences, I would say we live side by side with lots of adjacent realities that we can literally jump between. And so that's a very key part of working. Uh, these ideas work together because um, when you've got the idea of future self, that gives you a sense of selfhood, which is agency, really. It's your ability to have an idea to do something tangible and so when we're when we're when you and i today are saying okay our high self knows and it's in touch with these possible future selves can kind of give us hints like um like this this direction feels better you can trust that one or this one feels better right now and sometimes these things change <coughs> excuse me I think we're getting, I'm going to let you take a sip for a minute. I think we're getting some clarity as well. I feel like we're sort of navigating a field right now as you and I are having this discussion. It's got, I'm going to tell you, Juniors, it's got a, this time and space has a very distinct and different energy to it. And maybe that's indicative of the fact that we're talking about this. So forgive me if I'm sounding a little out of sorts, but I'm going to let it just be, let it go. I, that, that little, the question that I had for you hasn't come back, but there are other things to be getting to. Here's one uh, that I'd like to ask. So many people, Cynthia, right now are talking about the idea that the veils are thinning. I say that the veils have been in the process of thinning for many years, but there it, it seems there is an acceleration of a diminished uh, wall between our very dense 3D reality, and as I like to say, everything else of which there is perhaps infinite dimensions, who knows? Do you, I guess the, the two-part question is, do you feel that we're at that point where the veil is as thin as can be? Some are saying it's not even there anymore. And part two of the question is, if this is the case, might it be easier to summon our best possible, and I'm gonna make sure I put that in front, best possible future self, looking at it from a phenomenological perspective. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I know some people, the people that watch your show, of course, they're going to agree with us. Uh, but then I know that there are some of the Myers-Briggs types who are not intuitive feelers. They're not empaths. And so for them, they might feel like not really any difference on that. You know, they're not going to notice thinning of the veils. But then if you push the point and say, okay, but do you remember some incredible dreams uh, then you might get some traction. So it's interesting that the kind of words that some of us use that might be different than what others use. Um, and sometimes people have dreams and they don't really care what it means. That's not true for me, probably not true for you, but uh, I'm just saying for some people, they just feel like that was a crazy dream and very intense. And I probably would say that, yes, people are noticing that across all of the personality types across around the world right now combination of factors, uh, lots of things going on, but uh, it's bigger than all that. I think it's probably what's running the show behind all of that, actually. Hmm. So again, kind of drilling down on the, the, the idea that uh, things are more intense right now and more phenomena seems to be happening. You and I have had that conversation in the last several months that uh, metaphysically we're living in a very metaphysically potent time. I'm sounding like a broken record, but I do feel it to be true. We're seeing evidence of that. And the journeyers have been writing in and talking about their own experiences. So that being said, whatever's going on that is making it a very metaphysically potent time, could this be the ideal time to summon this future self? I think it's Would always it easier. Yeah. It, I think it's easier. Yes. Um, but I do notice, and this is something we talked about before we started filming today, that uh, it's it's one thing to have the steps and go to the one point something billion websites that show the steps on how to contact your future self. But most people that I talk to um, really tell me with sincerity that these things did not work for them. So 
um, that gets back to the imagination, the emotional contact and the intention and then the attention, that focus. When you bring those together, you'll get your results. It also can help to be with somebody who's got that lock, who's got that focus, who can kind of bring that. So maybe find somebody to work with to do this together or, um, you know, make it much more real for yourself somehow. The more real you make it, the better your results are going to be. When you had your experience back in 1978, you saw a figure, you saw what you believed to be an older version of you. I would imagine that, you know, again, we, we tend to have this preset idea of what interacting or meeting your future self would look like. I'd see the, the individual, the individual would look older than me, maybe, depending on how far into the future. But could we be getting signals from our future self with through other senses, uh, even through other people? you know, acting as the medium, if you will, uh, or reading something in a book that for some reason you feel that it's coming from another part of you in space and time. In other words, do we need to physically see the future self to interact with them? You don't need to physically see the future self to interact with them. That's a great question. And that idea of high self that's running that show is such a good one because when you recognize uh, at that very high level of yourself with you being um, true to all of the best qualities of, of yourself and knowing so much more with the ultimate bird's eye view of everything, there is that part of you that's that connected. Very seldom do we get so quiet that we can tune into that. Um, it's almost too quiet to hear, but that is that still small voice that can reach through, I believe, and connect with all of us. And, and so right now is a perfect time to make take advantage of this thinning of the veils you know um there's that book the ninth wave um which i think is phenomenal describing the physics behind the mayan calendar and i don't you know dr carl kellerman um mm -hmm. presents idea frequencies and vibrations so if you look at it that way like you said we've been expecting this time for generations and most of the indigenous people on the planet have been looking forward to it uh, recognizing that this is a time of making choices. And I've uh, I brought back an old idea with a new word, rev humanism, because sometimes when people think of their future or they're thinking like, what's the world going to look like in a hundred years, they tend to think in terms of science fiction and cyborgs and stuff. And they get into the transhumanism and you don't even have to go to science fiction. You can just look at what's Elon Musk talking about these days and Usually it's something like the singularity, and um, some people say it's already happened. But what I'd like to say is it doesn't matter about all of this high-tech stuff. You don't need to get scared about it or worried about artificial intelligence or any of that, because we have the all of the, if you want to call it technology, built right in. We have the ability to recognize within ourselves, a very, like you said, the word reverence, and that's a key to this word rev humanism that I'd like to popularize. I'd like people to know this is possible for all of us to tune into this idea that the world can be better. We can be better. We can be part of that. It starts with gratitude, connection with others, truly caring about others and keeping open to that level of highest imagination, not a nightmare, not what we're afraid of, not what we're blaming people for. None of that at all. Not what you know. None of the complaints and all that stuff that we're hearing so much of in an election year. Not going to go into it, but uh, we, we we can rise above it literally, and and that is what's actually depicted on that Hopi prophecy rock, mm -hmm. where it shows the two paths, and the one that thinks it's going up, it's not really a true up. It's kind of going up into oblivion, into the cloud, which I think is interesting. Kind of goes poof. So it's kind of like a dead end, like a pathway of trusting technology and getting what we think we want. This is the danger when you want to connect with your future self and you think you know what you're doing. I really recommend get in touch with your true feelings in your heart, which is where your those heartfelt emotions are. Get in touch with your subconscious because if you need to be totally on board. You need to make it really real. And when it's real, then it's not some game and you're not creating like Jumanji or something. <laughs> but Absolutely. Instead, yeah. that, that can't be emphasized enough, uh, Cynthia, particularly when you're, you're playing around with, with a form of nature. Right. Nature is powerful and can be unforgiving. 
So it's just like, I suppose, experimenting with a Ouija board, you know, there, there's a process there that um, needs to be not only understood as much as you can, but uh, respected, yes. uh, approached with humility and approached only when and if necessary. These are things that have to be used with utter uh, responsibility. So I think that's important. Wow. Um, I wanted to make mention, I've got to make mention, and it's so funny because I've just reorganized my library here, and the book Future Memory by our dear friend PMH Atwater, what a, I have the hardcover back in the days when we actually got hard, more hardcover books, read oh, it many yeah. years ago, and I said, there's something in that book that I need to find, just a little point. Uh, actually, I got the Einstein quote from there. It's a great book, everyone. I'd highly recommend it. That book's got to be well over a decade old now, more than that. More oh, than uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you're mentioning it because there's a chapter in that book, chapter two, about reality shifts, and that really deserves credit for the first mention of the word of the term reality shifts. I know yeah. now we we use other words for it, but that was the first time I'd really seen it in print, and it's perfect. So I love that yeah. book too so much. It's fabulous, fabulous. She says in the book, Future Memory. What is future memory? It's the ability to pre-live future time while still active and functional in present time. And when I read that, and that makes perfect sense, as much as something like this can, <clears throat> excuse me, to all of us, would it be possible? We think of accessing our future self as the assumption is that the future self is coming to you. But can we go to the future to meet our future self? In other words, you know, you at the time were in your bedroom and it seems as if your future self came to, into the present. Yes. Uh, but I would imagine it could work both ways. Can we move into we the future and meet them there or meet them halfway yeah. in some ether, some <laughs> middle ground? Yes, it's something I do with clients quite a bit because it's so powerful. At least it is when I work with clients. Um, like I said, often they'll tell me first, like, yeah, we can try that, but it's never worked for me. <laughs> and, but that's because they follow these steps. And it's it's one thing to follow the steps. And it's another to really bring that fullness of focus of attention and intention and imagination together in such a powerful way. But what's possible is to feel just how fearless you can be, how loving you can be. I'm not kidding about going to the highest ultimate level of all of the principles that you most care about and embodying that when you recognize like, wow, that's possible. I can be that. So it doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter what's happening in your life so far. So you could be in the sand trap of life and feel like, wow, things are a mess. That's okay. Because even from there, you can still picture like there is going forward a version of me that is so amazing, so fearless, so radiant, so overflowing with joy and love and wisdom. And you can, you can actually feel this presence. And so, yeah, I do a, a series of exercises and meditations with clients to get to that place. And it's transformative in the, in the most, in the best way. Very powerful. We need that now for sure. As I'm listening to you and I agree with all that you're saying, save for the fact that because we've got fear so prevalent in our faces right now, people are really struggling to shift from one mode uh, to another, from an emo uh, emotional state of anxiety and fear to, you know, the things that you're talking about. And I know that there's no magic pill. I suppose practice is, you know, the, 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 the best we can do just to continue to practice and know that that reality does exist at some level. But what would you say to those people that are, I mean, I'll, I'll be frank. I had a hell of a day yesterday as yeah. an example. My, I, you know, this has been a, this has been quite the roller coaster ride. And sometimes, you know, you, you can have a hell of a day and not even point to any one specific thing that got you there, but just the, the, the frequency surrounding this planet right now, even though the, we do believe the frequency is accelerating, there's another frequency that's kind of holding us down, it seems. And it's tough to get out of these modes. What would you say to the people that are just having really crappy days and want to do what you're talking about, but they're like, hell, I don't know how to get myself there. 
Exactly. Well, I, the truth is, before I jump into that exercise, I don't do that one first with clients. I, they need to get ready. They need to open their hearts up because just like the Hopi talk about um, that we're entering the fifth world, which I guess we are. We're seeing the signs of it right now. Uh, all the signs are here. Um, you need to really open your heart. You need to feel as loved as you've ever felt in your life. Most of us close our hearts off. We were talking about the energy of emotion and love is something we usually deny ourselves. So that's the place to start is by accepting and receiving the pure, unconditional divine love for you from everyone who's ever loved you, everyone who loves you right now, everyone who will ever love you, and your best possible future self. And this, I do this as an exercise. You can just slow that down, just slow it down. Take deep, deep breaths with each of those areas and really intend with the fullness of your being that whatever's in my way of opening my heart to love, I'm going to get that out of the way because you need that. You need that in order to see with the eyes of your heart, which is really the clearest way to see your best possible future self. I don't think there's really any other way to do it. That was wonderful, wonderful said. By the way, folks, we are going to take this over to uh, Patreon. We're going to continue the conversation in the after show. And I really want Cynthia to get maybe a little bit more granular, if you will, in the uh, the practice or the approach uh, that she advises her clients. We're going to give you a little taste of that over on Patreon. So uh, do join us for that. I'm going to put the banner up here so you know where to go. Uh, closing thoughts as we, as we uh, exit here and go on over to Patreon how to meet your future self. And again, I, I think what we, where we really want to go and we'll talk about this a little bit more on the after show is you meet your future self, but how do you procure what you need at the time from them? And I don't want you to answer that right now because we're going to take that over to the after show, but that's <laughs> where I think we really want to go. Again, this is not an act of novelty, but one of that can be very helpful and therapeutic. Um, and the article, the wonderful article that you wrote that's on our blog, blog.higherjourneys.com, goes into what you derive, the significance of, and how sacred that relationship can be between you and your future self. Uh, yeah. Shaking hands, if you will, with you. So closing thoughts in that regard. Well, my favorite thoughts are always, how good can it get? So I'd like to focus your intention and energy on that question that you're asking about the best possible future self for each of us. How good can this world get when each of us is reaching out and forward to our best possible future selves and being guided forward to become our best possible future selves? Here, here. And as I'm sitting here listening to you, we're in on the eve <laughs> of the, what is they say going to be landmark uh, election. By the time this show airs, it will be the day after. They're talking about the fact that they don't anticipate any definitive conclusion for days, maybe weeks, who knows. But in that regard, wherever we may be in the future, because when you see this, it'll be the future, let's uh, make sure that on the other side of this important day, November 3rd, we're our best possible future self in the present. How yes. about that? <laughs> Love Everyone. It. Go to realityshifters.com, speaking of reality shifters, to read more from the quantum optimist herself. You're the quantum optimist, Cynthia Sue Larson. And as always, we thank you for joining us for another episode of Higher Journeys. Come on over to Patreon and join us so we can uh, take this a little deeper. We're going to get a little bit more granular, get a little more hands-on. We're going to meet our future selves. So we'll see you over there in the future. Bye, everyone. <laughs>